Welcome to another episode of Coffee and Conversations, where we look at the intersection of relationships, faith, and leadership. I am one of your co-hosts, Michael Clark. And I'm Christian Harden. We're so glad you joined us. Thank you again for joining us for another exciting episode of Coffee and Conversations. As always, we love to hear from you, our listeners. You can email us at coffeeandconvospodcast at gmail.com. That's coffeeconvospodcast at gmail.com. You'll see that in the description below. And uh, we're excited to be drinking some good coffee today. We got some Yurgachev from our friends at Bryn, who always are putting out some great product. Bryn Coffee, if you're looking for a place to get some great coffee, you need to look them up. Um, we'll have their link as well. You can order directly from your computer or phone and have it sent to your, your address. But also, they have a trailer here in Knoxville. If you happen to be in our area. Um, they've got a great coffee trailer that is set up every Saturday outside of the uh, farmer's market, which is now next to the Coliseum. Uh, but also Monday through Friday, they have a morning um, a morning shift out of Fellowship North right in their parking lot. Uh, that's where the Bryn folks actually fellowship, and um, they do a great job of uh, serving that community. So thanks again, Bryn, for bringing us some great coffee today. And I'm excited because I've got a friend who has come a long ways to join me. Uh, he did just drive from Maryville this morning, but he is not a local uh, through and through. Um, I've got a great friend, James Saylor, who is in the house from California. Yes. Um, when I met you, you were just coming in. The family was arriving, um, acclimating to good old East Tennessee, figuring out what sports look like, what new schools look yeah. like. Um but you came with a passion because uh, the Lord had spoken to you and your wife. And so share a little bit about yourself, kind of where you come from and, and what you've been involved in the uh, the past few decades and how you got there. Michael, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. And um, it's been a journey for us to get here. Um, man, we were comfortable in California. Um, just had launched a, a church plant that was actually doing really fantastic. Um, it was probably at the healthiest place that it had ever been. Um and man, I was just loving life, man. I was coaching high school basketball. Uh, we were thriving in the community. We really had built a relationship with the city of Galt that we were in. And uh, God was doing some incredible stuff. But I'll never forget a conversation I had with a guy in my church. He was actually a um, former SWAT team member and a sergeant. And so he was he was hardcore. He was yeah. intense. So we would work out together. And um, we were lifting weights one day. He was literally in the middle of a set. And he just blurts out out of nowhere. He said, God told me you're leaving. And he just keeps right on lifting. He doesn't even stop. And I go, what'd you say, man? He said, yeah, last night I was praying for you, man. And the Lord told me that uh, your time was coming to an end. And I'm like... So you stop spotting them. Yeah. You're like, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, man, I'm done. What's going on? <laughs> and that was, this, that was uh, gosh, that was November, 2000, I think 2019 now. So about two years ago, just over two years ago. And then I had four other people tell me almost identical to what Brian had shared that day. And it just started a conversation and a dialogue with my wife. And she says, man, I'm praying, and I think the Lord wants us to move to the South. And we've never been here. I don't have... Like Southern California? Yeah, that's like, what yeah. I thought initially. So I'm like, man, I'm down. I like the beach. And, yeah. um, and so we just we made a trip out here, and uh, we flew into Tennessee and looked at some other parts of the South, ended up... Um, in uh, Raleigh-Durham, uh, Chapel Hill area, we talked to um, church planning director out there about the possibility of planting in Holly Springs. And the whole trip, nothing really set in except for the Knoxville area. 
we just knew that we were supposed to be in East Tennessee. And uh, so we went back and told the board and uh, told our staff, and uh, they were, you know, surprised but very supportive. And this was funny, too. This was a great story. I'll never forget. Um, one of our staff members, I was concerned about the staff because, I mean, I love – I had a great team. It was the best team I probably have had uh, assembled in all the years of ministry. And uh, we were sitting there talking, just having coffee one day, and, and then my wife and I were like, hey, we're going to be moving to this one staff member. And um, she actually starts laughing. And because we had told her we were going to move to to Maryville, Tennessee, just south of Knoxville, and uh, and she starts laughing, and I'm like, that's not the response that I was like hoping for, expecting. Um, and she literally said, "No, um, you're going to be shocked." So she pulls up her phone, and on her phone she has a, a note sheet that she had kind of captured a couple of places that she uh, was talking to her husband about moving, and she was laughing because Maryville, Tennessee, was on the top of her list. Never talked about it, wow. never brought it up. And um, to this day, they actually moved here not long after us, about six months after us, and they lived down to Maryville with us as well. So Wow. And this isn't the mass exodus that we're now seeing out of California, because yeah. um, that is still happening. But this was because, like Abraham, God said, go, go to yeah. a land that you know not of. Yeah. Um, and if I were honest, I didn't want to come. Yeah. You know, I honestly really loved what I was doing. Um, still to this day, I wrestle with some of those feelings, if, if we're being super honest this yeah. morning, of like, Lord, why did you do this? But you know, the Lord loves us enough um, to ask us sometimes to do the hard things because he knows what's best for us. And I can honestly tell you, 18 months later, God knew exactly what was best for my family. Yeah. And uh, so I'm grateful for that. But now we're kind of um, receiving a lot of California transplants. So whether the Tennessee natives like it or not, the people from California, <laughs> they're getting out of Dodge in mass numbers. So yeah. we saw that the last couple of years we were in California, um, we lost 12 families in the last two years, moves out of states, Idaho, Texas, Colorado, different places like that. Uh, but the numbers have just exploded in the last year. Wow. So, yeah. But we're, we're loving Tennessee, man. It's a great place to be. Well, we're glad to have you in this area. Yeah. And I know it's not all been easy, like you said. Um, you know, you look back and you wonder, man, did I do the right thing? This has not been yeah. a, a cakewalk. And uh, you, you moved with kids uh, and a wife. And tell us a little bit about, you know, your, your family. What does that look like? Yeah, so we have five. Um, my daughter's the oldest. She just got married. Uh, she's a student at Johnson University. Yeah, Johnson. Loving it out there. And uh, worship and media arts student, uh, has a great husband. Um, he's a coffee connoisseur as well. Um, they're doing great. So they chose to live next to us in Maryville. So they're about a mile away, which I am super grateful for. Then we have four boys, two in high school, two in junior high school. And, uh, and so it, it's been a, it was a challenge. Um, in fact, the day that we told my oldest son, their team lost uh, the sectional championship. They were playing at the same arena where the Sacramento Kings play, and they lost by, I think, two points on a buzzer beater. Oh. And that was a Friday night, and then Saturday morning we broke the news to them that, hey, we're going to be moving to Tennessee. Wow. And uh, so our boys came with some real disappointment, to say the least. I think a few of them struggled with depression and just were mm -hmm. overwhelmed at that. But if you ask them all now, they're all in a pretty good space. And they yeah. go, you know what, I can see that God had a purpose for us in moving. And so I feel like you're saying, Abraham, like, go on ahead, and um, I'm going to be sending some folks to you. Mm. And uh, so even our, our house church gathering uh, last Sunday night, um, we looked around. It was the first time since we'd gathered. It was all California people. 
Wow. Um, normally, it's a mixture of you know local natives yeah. and uh, folks from uh, Maryville, but it was the first time um, all folks from California. So, so, t- so tell us a little bit. What what are you doing here? What what is the vision that God has called you to? Yeah, uh, as you're in the South, and I know part of that vision is bigger than just the region in the area. Yeah, because uh, I've gotten to hear your heart a little bit. Yeah. So when we pastors. got here, it was uh, it was very clear from the Lord that we were supposed to take a season of rest. And uh, that was needed. So we were pretty tired when we got here. And uh, so about six months into it, the Lord really kind of gave us some, some ideas. And, um, and usually how that, that's how it works. He'll just give you an idea or two. And uh, so we started something called the Authentic Movement. And one of the big pieces of it is ministering to pastors and leaders. And God has really started to open up a door for us to connect to pastors and leaders all across the country. And um, it's been fantastic. So uh, mentoring some guys at different parts of the United States, Missouri, Colorado, California, um, been traveling and speaking at some churches, um, developed a really strong partnership with an organization called Replentish. Mm-hmm. And uh, they actually host week-long ministry trips for pastors and leaders to get away and do some, uh, some soul care work. And uh, it's just been fantastic. So God has really expanded that door. And then we're still doing a lot of ministry online, uh, hosting Zoom calls. People are probably just uh, exhausted with Zoom calls. And, um, but I've been ministering to families a lot, um, mm-hmm. different parts of the United States, uh, most of which came from our church from California. Um, and then we're working on building a coffee shop in Maryville, Tennessee, and uh, that's getting closer by the day. And so I'm looking forward to getting that open. And uh, we'll just host nights of worship and have some great events. It could be jazz night or comedy night. And so we're looking forward to that. But one of the things, too, that we started was um, a house church movement. And uh, that's been a ton of fun. It has been very simple. Um, it's been very organic, very much rooted in New Testament um, breaking bread, loving on people, growing together spiritually. And so um, we have one right now, getting ready to launch another one. And then I have, uh, looks like two pastors moving from California that are going to start some in mm. Knoxville. But surprisingly, this was this was really strange to me that as we started this, all of a sudden um, I realized there was a whole, I wouldn't say a market, but that's, that's the only word I can think of. There's a market of house churches meeting all across the country. Yeah. And most of them don't have relationship with anybody. And so we're starting to develop some dialogues like, what does this look like? How do we help one another? You know, what are you guys studying? Uh, pray for me. We're having a really hard time in our house church. And so God's really connected us up um, with some house churches in different parts of the United States. So, so a network of those. Yeah. That's great. And uh, just support one another. Yeah. You know, nowadays everything is very difficult. And so this idea of partnerships um, can't be casually considered. I think people have to buy into mm. partnership. Let's work together. Let's yeah. find where we have commonalities. Let's put our differences aside and let's just go, you know what? Um, we can do this together. And so I think people are realizing that probably as a result of the pandemic, we need we need one another more now than we've ever needed each other before. Yeah. And some of the things, James, that I hear you talking about, I had heard you talk about pre-pandemic. Yeah. You, had, you were still in transition. You were on and off of planes. Yeah. Um, and you already were sharing about how God is, has, has wired you as a pastor to pastors that you felt like you wanted to be a, yeah. um, you wanted to serve leaders. And, and then the house church was a part of that, you know, conversation, yeah. uh, initially. And those couldn't be more necessary now than they have ever been, yeah. uh, in my lifetime. I think about leaders right now, we were just talking about it, about how many pastor friends we know or government officials, or it doesn't matter what space you're in as yeah. a leader, you couldn't please everyone. 
And it has been a really difficult road because if you're a good leader, you really, you, you feel the weight of that. Yeah. You, it's responsibility to you. Um, how has this last year and even going into this year been as you have been walking with pastors and walking with leaders, yeah. what does that space look like? And what's, what's your pulse on, on where leadership is in our, in our country? Yeah. So I think the biggest challenge, um, right now for leaders, obviously besides the pandemic and, you know, people coming back to church is we're, we're living in a culture now that's completely devoid of any sort of honor for those in leadership. You know, we have people that will, you know, do anything imaginable to, you know, an officer or a pastor or, you know, a politician and, and they won't think twice about it. And so where 20 years ago we honored the office of a pastor, it's no longer thought of uh, in that light Mm. anymore. It's kind of a, it's kind of lost its sense of authority. You know, some of it rightfully so, but some of it has um, um, been the mistreatment of pastors and leaders. And so I've seen that uh, in our work with pastors and leaders. Um, man, this last year has been tough on them, and many of them are struggling. So Barna's research firm tells us that probably by this summer, about 80% uh, percent of churches will survive, but 20% are going to end up closing. That's one in five churches in America that aren't going to return from the pandemic. It could be a variety of reasons. It could be financial. It could be just infighting from people in the church not getting along or having a different view on mask or no mask, vaccines, vac- no vaccines. Um, whatever the case is, um, pastors are struggling. And so if you're out there and you have a great pastor, first, I want to encourage you, pray for them. Yeah. Send them a note of encouragement. You know, Buy them some lunch. Let them know that you value them and appreciate them. That's not happening as much as it needs to happen right now. And if you see your pastor is tired or worn out, um, encourage them to take a break. You know, I'm, I sent so uh, one guy, um, he actually went away for a week of counseling. He came back and he's like, it was life-changing. Wow. That's part of why we're hosting these trips around the country. In fact, in May, I'm taking a team of pastors, most of them from Tennessee, but some of them from around the nation, um, just over the mountain to a Wesleyan retreat center in North Carolina just to rest, just yeah. to reflect, just to go fishing with a bunch of guys, man, and do some soul care work. Um, because pastors are hurting right now. Like I don't think I've seen, this is my 25th year in ministry, and I don't know that the challenges I've ever witnessed are as significant as they are right now. And so us jumping in when we did, um, I felt like it was the perfect timing. The Lord knew exactly what we were supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, and so we've had great conversations, but Michael, it's all over the board. Um, every, there's no, I I haven't heard a similarity yet. I mean, I've heard commonalities, Hmm. but every story is different. Every story has got, you know, a different challenge. You know, we had to close our preschool or I lost multiple staff members because of a disagreement. And so I would just encourage you to have grace, uh, for those in leadership right now, because they're navigating waters they've never been in. And uh, then just come alongside them and let them know uh, that you support the work that they're doing. That's so good. And I just love what you were saying as far as we've we've lost that culture of honoring those in leadership. And yeah. and that's something that um, we're trying to instill in, in my own children and what that looks like, even if I don't agree with that leader, yeah. even if um, it is someone, you know, we've adopted a couple of kids. Uh, so we've had some conversations lately on what is our attitude towards the birth parents, mm-hmm. um, because we got to meet one for the first time last week. And boy, it's about honor and respect and love to recognize God used them to bring someone into our family. And it's the same in leadership. 
that we can honor them because God has placed them there, whether yeah. we agree with them 100% or not. Um, and that's from a president I may or may not have voted for to a pastor to a government official wow. uh, locally. So, man, that's that's really needed right now. Okay. And I, I was watching something with my wife last night, and this really stuck out to me. It was just one of our shows that we record and then watch later. Yeah. Speed through the commercials. Um, But something that they said stuck out to me, and I've been thinking about it in the context of ministry, and it was, I'm no longer afraid of the pandemic, because the idea was the pandemic was behind them in the show. I'm afraid of normal, because what was ahead of them is, what is the new normal? I don't know that, because I've conditioned myself to response to trauma, to uncertainty, and I, I, I've learned now to to maybe get through that, to thrive and, and get through that. But in some ways, when I look at the church and I look at what 2020 maybe even put pause on some things that we were doing that we didn't need to continue to yeah. do, allow us to reevaluate, maybe focus on some things we had kind of set to the side that were really good and necessary. And you talk about a house church movement. And I, I just wonder in the back of my mind, what is God up to spiritually in our country if if we'll get on board with it, with the new wineskin, with what God is wanting to do, because it's wanting to meet people in a way that I, I don't think he, that, that our buildings have met them in the past. Yeah. Uh, and I think the house church movement is a big part of that. Speak a little bit into how, how did you really get on board with, with being a part of something like that in this yeah. area? That's a good question. Um, I wasn't. Uh, yeah. When I came here, you know, I pastored traditional churches, and you know, bigger was better. Uh, the more people you can get into the building is the best. Um, my ministry training growing up was how many people can you reach? You know, let's just keep reaching the masses. Let's just keep pushing hard, which I think is important. Um, but if you look at the pandemic, it exposed a lot of who we are as the church. And let's be honest, a lot of it wasn't good. Yeah. And the beauty of it is a lot of pastors are okay with not going back to the way we used to do things. And that's exciting to me. That's refreshing. And so I don't know, um, just in this whole pandemic, we actually started with, um, we had talked about a house church movement and um, we just started, you know, just with our family and then invited a few people over. And and before you know it, I was like, man, I'm in love with this idea of simplicity, of honestly looking um, at someone face-to-face, asking them how they're really doing spiritually. Um, I do less communicating, like in the house church format. I do a lot of questions, and I throw it out to the people, and I wait for a response, you know, because a lot of times people will go to a church on Sunday, let's be honest, and you can't remember a single thing you heard. And so I've preached for a lot of years, and I've asked a lot of people, like, tell me, you know, how did the message impact you? And they don't even know what to say. I mean, it's like... So disheartening. Yeah. And so it's just been good to see people hungry and wanting yeah. something different. And But I think what's important in whatever format we use going forward, if it's like a tr- more traditional model or house church or, you know, meeting at a coffee shop, is that we really need... We, we saw the value, finally, I believe, of community. Mm. That we are called to do life together. You know, I think what Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, um, especially all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, I believe Jesus is coming back soon. I believe there's some things happening uh, in the world that we have to take note of. But Michael, this is exciting to me. People are now going, you know what? I really just want to be with the family of God. And I'm starting to see that in ways that I haven't seen that before. And they could care less about all the other frivolous stuff in church and ministry. Yeah. And they're like, man, let's just break bread together. Let's just... And so it, we don't even plan worship. This is fun. Huh. We decided not to plan worship, which is it's brutal for me because I'm a little bit overly... Um, 
you know, structured. And I like to plan things out. And so um, sometimes we have somebody that brings a guitar. Uh, one time we had an older gentleman that sang hymns, and it was powerful. Uh, last Sunday, my wife, um, she just jumped on the piano and led worship. And so it's just wow. different every time. And so um, we're loving the environment, and it's just something different and new. And uh, people are curious about it. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds a lot like what I read in the book of Acts. Like everyone coming with a, a song, yeah. a hymn, a spiritual word. Yeah. Um, you know, as Paul writes to the, the church in Ephesus yeah. about that. That's the big thing. So the emphasis is come and bring what you have. You know, a lot of times uh, we we invite people to a church, and it's not 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 necessarily a bad thing. And I understand where people are coming from, but it's like come and come and listen, come and receive, come. But we actually encourage come and bring what you have, whether it's a a gift, a song, uh, a meal, uh, insight from scripture. Um, you've been praying for somebody, and the Lord spoke to you for a friend in the church. What do you have to bring? Because a lot of times. I think what the church unintentionally created was a lot of consumers, mm-hmm. as they're looking for a good product. And then if they don't get the product they want, what happens a lot of times is they, shop somewhere else. they jump to the next place. Yeah. And we weren't creating real disciples. And so this model has caused us to rethink um, in every setting, pastor and leader, if you're out there, rethink, don't That's go so back good. and go, you know what, what is going to create um, lasting disciples that just aren't going to you know, follow Jesus, but are going to endure persecution? Yeah, that are going to endure some of the challenges yeah. that were because it's not going away. It's probably going to get worse, in my opinion. So, yeah. um, so I'm enjoying what we're doing right now. Never would have guessed it in a million years we'd be doing this. That's so good, making disciples. Yeah, I think that's one of the lost arts. That um, as I look and evaluate the church currently, we could go back to what we've always done, and we may capture some of the Christians again that we had, but I don't think we'll get them all back because I think so many of them are disenfranchised with, yeah. man, I. I I can't go back to that. I think they realize yeah. um, God's wanting to do something different. And if we're going to be a force in this world and reach our culture and those that are not yet a part of the faith, um, it's going to look different. Yeah. It's not going to be the institution that we've always known it to be. Yeah. I think God's doing a new thing. Well, we know statistically even, you know, the people that come to church or come to faith usually come out of relationship. And so it might be you, you know, you host a barbecue in your backyard and bring yeah. people over. And I tell people this all the time. You do just don't stop doing life, but just include Jesus in the center of it all. You know, you're a mountain biking group. Just talk about Jesus. That's it. You play That's baseball it. together, softball, whatever it may be. Just keep doing that kind of stuff. And I promise you, people are asking questions about uh, faith, about the future, where is our country headed, um, all these kind of things, and just bring it up. And I'm telling you, it's going to turn back to God um, if we just present it that way. Yeah, Yeah. to give an answer for the hope that we have. That's really good. That is. Well, I I definitely want us to continue in this conversation, but we like to inject a little bit of fun in the middle of of our uh, interviews. And so this is what we call our rapid fire. Typically, Christian would be here doing this, but um, his newborn baby has him otherwise. Um, So we're we're excited for him and and his wife and baby Penny. But here's our rapid fire. Um, First off, what is your favorite movie? And as Christian likes to say it, the one that if it's just on TV in the middle of it, a quarter of the way, almost over, you can just jump in and still enjoy it. Rudy. Rudy. By far, yeah. Yes. I've always felt like an underdog in my life. So okay. um, his story, man, of just grinding and then one day being rewarded. Um, I, I've, I've watched that thing seven, eight times. So. That's so good. I, I bet there's some folks that are a younger generation that have not watched Rudy. I grew up on Rudy. Yeah. And I need to show that to my kids. That's yeah. a good movie. 
That's a good movie. What about most influential book or person? If it's not a book, possibly it's someone you listen to. Um, yeah. Who's that been right Two now? books that really stick out to me is uh, Leonard Ravenhill's Why Revival Terries. That's like a punch in the gut spiritually for any pastor or leader. I read that thing probably once a year. That's awesome. Um, and Leonard then, Ravenhill. And then the latest one that has really helped me where I'm at on my own spiritual journey, I'm doing a lot of uh, soul searching, trying to f- figure out where I'm at, who I am. You know, I'm in kind of the mid-season of my life, but I'm reading a book called Emotional Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. And the tagline is really brilliant. It actually says, it's impossible to be spiritually mature and emotionally unhealthy at the same time. And so there's just some things I think in our hearts and our souls that we haven't dealt with. And um, it's keeping us from really going further and deeper with God. And so that has been a life-giving book to me. I recommend it to anybody. That's so good. Both of those are on my bookshelf behind you. Uh, Love me some Leonard Ravenhill. I have a feeling, again, there's another generation that has no idea who he is. Um, He would be, I think, a a contemporary in in my younger years of an A.W. Tozer. Just the the truth that he brought with what weight and conviction, yeah. um, and the disciples he made. I was influenced by some of his direct disciples, wow. people who sat underneath Leonard Ravenhill, um, were some of the the professors I had in Bible college, and I had I had his son David Ravenhill as well wow. as a professor. So I definitely recommend people go out and pick up some of his books. It will wreck your world if your heart is open to hear it. Absolutely. Um, good stuff. And then, of course, yes, uh, Pete Scazzaro, great stuff out of New York. Um, and for the leaders listening, Emotional Healthy Leaders is a great book to walk your staff through. Yeah. Um, after you go through it, there's so many resources out there that they have yeah. for that. If I could say this real fast, yeah. uh, Michael, a couple years ago in California, our church had really gone through like a downturn. We had lost a lot of people that had moved out of state and just some people had left. And I was really left reeling. I'm like, man, what is going on? Like our church shrunk probably by half. Um, we were running about four, 425 at the time, and we're down close to 200 now. And I'll never forget. I'm like, where'd all the people go? And I never f- forget. I had a prayer time with the Lord. I'm like, Lord, what do I got to do? I'll work harder. You tell me what to do. And he actually said this. Uh, I don't feel like I've heard the Lord audibly ever, but if I did, it was probably in this moment. Um, he said, you really want to move forward? I said, yes. He says, I want to give you more, but I want you to be a healthier version of you first. Mm. I'm not going to trust you with more of my kids until you address some things in your heart. And that was one of the books that I pulled off the shelf. And I started, you know, I met with a counselor. I started walking through some things in my life. And um, literally, it's crazy. You know, I worked less in ministry and we saw more people come and more people saved by just me committing to working on becoming a healthier version of me. Wow. I have to admit, the way that I first heard about that book, Emotional Healthy Spirituality, um, was when I finally had hit my ceiling and I had to go and, and, and seek out some some Christian counseling and yeah. therapy and um, just sitting there. And, and I had gone, uh, you know, James, if we're still being transparent, if this yeah. is authentic, yeah. um, and I was like, man, don't, don't give me that family of origin crap. That's just the way I felt. Yeah. And then sure enough to know that there was some stuff I needed to go back and revisit uh, as to what were keeping me in the same cycles, unhealthy patterns, and um, really dealing with that because I hadn't, I had grown spiritually, yeah. but I had not grown emotionally. Um, and it, I, I had outpaced myself yeah. so I can no longer go any further um, in, in my leadership and just person because I wasn't dealing with it personally. Yeah. Um, so I definitely, yeah, great, great resources. Yeah. And sometimes we do, we have to stop and we've got to work on, on what God's trying to deal with in our heart, uh, before we can go any further. Yeah. 
Um, and God really blessed that decision. I was shocked. Yeah. I really wow. watched God do things. That I'm like, I'm not even working for this. And God really began to bless and pour out favor like we'd not seen ever. And it was simply a commitment to say, you know what, I'm just going to work on becoming um, different, whole, healed, whatever it may yeah. be. And I would say this too, this is something that's different from California to East Tennessee. You know, I would say this, this is an observation, is that people in East Tennessee, uh, Michael, I just think they're better at maybe stuffing things um, than people in California. For I'll give you an example. Mm. If people in California don't like you, they're just going to tell you. Sure. They're just going to like, hey. Here it is. You know, this is what's going on. This is how I feel about you. But it seems like East Tennessee is pretty good at kind of, you know, pushing stuff under the rug. You know, I heard the old phrase, you know, um, bless your heart, yeah. you know, is a loaded statement that yeah. I really have more to say, but I feel like I need to be kind and respectful to you, yeah. but I can't say what's really going on inside of me. And I would just encourage you to your listeners, especially here in East Tennessee, if you've got some things going on in your heart, um, down deep, you know, don't stuff that anymore. You know, I, I love counseling. I love talking to people. You know, get help that you need. Those things eventually will come back to bite you. Yeah. And um, I just have noticed a big difference between the folks on the West Coast and the folks here in East Tennessee have a tendency wow. to kind of hide things a little bit more than maybe some of the folks that I, I grew up with. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow, that's an interesting thing. to I have to think about that. Well, as we're still kind of, I know these rapid fire questions yeah. end up getting us Sorry. on other topics. Sorry. No, which is perfect. Um, I, one of my, I'm kind of curious what you're going to say to this because you're not from the South. So what in the world would be a comfort food for you? Yeah. Barbecue and street tacos. Street tacos. Yeah. I can do that. I love so barbecue. Food. Now, barbecue is not the same in every part of the country. Way better back here. So, okay. So you like the sweet sauce on your barbecue or do you like vinegar Man, based I, North I, Carolina? I, I'll try it all. Okay. So and any the, barbecue. The barbecue out here is phenomenal. And I would say the Mexican food in California might be a little bit better. Yeah, it's just so. different. Um, they different. It's just very different. Um, but man, there's some good street tacos and some good places I found here in East Tennessee too. So I love it. Yeah. I love it. We've had street tacos come up a couple of times on this podcast. So nice. yeah, La Herador is one of my favorites. Everyone knows. Well, one of our seasonal questions is things are warming up right now. I'm curious, what is one of your favorite outdoor activities? Maybe it's by yourself. Maybe it's with your boys. Yeah. Um, what, what do you enjoy doing? So we're a big, big baseball family. I went to college to play baseball. And so right now the kids are pulling out their gloves and uh, my youngest yes. is playing baseball for the junior high in Maryville and my oldest will play for the high school so this will be a fun baseball season I'm actually Michael this is fun I'm working on a, a re I'm calling it a reunion tour of a bunch of my kids friends from California to play one last baseball tournament together out in the south and so we're trying to identify a tournament that we can play in. So I think some of them are going to fly out. How and then fun. we're going to have a couple of new friends for my oldest son. So this will be one of his gifts for his senior graduation. That's really cool. Is uh, one last tournament with all of his friends. So so yeah. baseball season's fun for us. Uh, hiking in East Tennessee is like nothing else. It's absolutely amazing here. Waterfalls, too. Yes. Um, we love it. So love I'm, it. I'm enjoying the great outdoors here. Yeah, well, those are very different things. You can't necessarily throw the baseball in the woods, but man, some of the weather that we have around here really makes for some fun times out there. It sure does, man. Yeah, that's great. What What is one of the most bizarre or funniest ministry experiences yeah. that you've had? I, I thought about that when you you asked about it. I think one of <laughs> I've had a lot um, over the years. Um, one of the ones that sticks out to me was um, as a youth pastor. 
a bunch of parents came to me one day with a concern and said, hey, we would like to um, see if you'd be open to an idea. We have a bunch of kids that come to our house and they're involved in backyard wrestling. And I go, what do you mean? They're like, they're literally doing backyard wrestling shows in our backyard. And so I was like, what do you want me to do about it? I'm like, I don't know, but they need a place to go. So long story short, fast forward about three years, um, we actually had purchased our own professional wrestling ring. And then Tuesday nights, (laughs) we would have discipleship, an hour-long discipleship, and then they would wrestle for the next two hours. And then once a month on a Friday, we'd put on pro wrestling type shows. That's awesome. And, um, and literally with, you know, kids get hit in the head with chairs to costumes to scripting. <laughs> you are from East Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, I fit in pretty good out here. I really do. That is and, so um, funny. But then in the middle, one of the wrestlers would share their testimony. And so literally on Friday nights, we would have people walk up to the ring and receive Jesus right there. In the most unusual manner, like I still to this day scratch my head. And the kids didn't like to wrestle me because I was terrible. I'd never trained and I didn't know what I was doing. And so I would just hit them because I would all get, because my nickname was the Psycho Warrior. So I would just actually pound kids. And and one kid, I'll never forget this wrestling match. In fact, he actually, I think he needed medical care after oh, our no. wrestling thing. Because I thought he said keep hitting me or hit me harder. And he says, don't hit me is what he told me later. <laughs> oh, no. And I hit him in the head a couple of times. And so, but that was, that was one of the fun memories we had over the years. Man, oh, wow. A pro wrestling show. But I think probably the funniest one um, was baptisms. So we had one of those old school churches that had a high baptism, uh, you know, baptismal and the water, if it got high enough, would run over into the choir loft. Well, this, this gentleman that was getting baptized, he was, he was, how do I say this nice? He was, he was solid. He was well built. He was he was yes. well built, and uh, <laughs> but he was not just well built. He was enthusiastic. I mean, oh wow, as about as as like just run your imagination wild for a minute. And so it took two of us to baptize him that day. But yeah. I'll never forget. Before service, I looked in there. Whoever filled up the baptismal filled it up pretty high. Oh, no. So I'm like, we're in trouble. Uh, so we got a big guy in there, and then we got two people baptizing him. And But I'll never forget it. He literally comes up out of the water, Michael, and he swings his arm. But as away. he created like a suction thing. And it, the best part was it literally went down into the choir loft, slammed on the back of the people in the choir as they were singing. But my favorite part was we had an organ player, and she was um, very prim and proper. And she like didn't, I mean, she did everything by the book. And so I'll never forget, but he smashed his hands and like this wave of water comes and (laughs) smashes her on the side. And the best part was she did not miss a beat, didn't flinch, just kept right on playing. So I'll never forget that day. So so. that's quite, that's a mass uh, baptizing at that point. I mean, everybody in the choir loft's getting that one. We got 20 or 30 deep right there. But I think after that, we... We uh, never had people in the choir while we were baptizing again. It was and and there was a line as far as don't fill up above this yes. ever again. <laughs> it was pretty funny. I'll never forget it. So. That's awesome. I love those. I love those stories. Well, I'm so glad you've been on. We've got a few more things I definitely want to um, kind of hear from you as, as you're evaluating. You've been in ministry for a while. How many years now? 25 years. 25 yeah. years. Yeah, I started as a youth and college pastor, and then we planted a couple of churches, and then... Um, I oversaw church planning in California and Nevada for uh, our denomination out there and um, got to travel and do school assemblies and work with kids. And so I've been really fortunate. And then the last couple of years, we've been here in East Tennessee getting, yeah. getting a new nonprofit started. So so what would you go back, James? I'm curious. What would you go back and tell your 22-year-old self? Yeah. 
if you could today? Yeah, so uh, I'm, something I'm working on right now, in fact, uh, and this is super important, and I hope uh, most people in the nonprofit church world sector, um, you're not loved or valued because of what you do. You know, uh, Michael, I, I burned out a couple of times in ministry because I would work so hard, and I believed, I believed actually a lie. I believed that God only loved me because of what I did or what I produced, and that's not true at all. Um, together we get to do some amazing things. He calls us to bear fruit, which is an uh, unbelievable privilege if you think of it. The God of the universe says, I want to work with you to make a difference in this world. But somewhere, Michael, in, in my journey, I got that all twisted in my head. And I believe that God only loved me because of what I brought to him. And that is just an absolute line. So I've been working on that at 45. It's embarrassing to say that I'm loved, period. And then I get to do something with God. And so if I would look back to my 22-year-old self, um, I would really encourage myself to work through um, maybe that lie and process it properly um, so that I didn't burn out and I didn't feel like I spent my whole life trying to uh, impress people or do things um, to know, you know, look what I've done kind of thing. Um, at the end of the day, that's a terrible way to live. And because um, it's it's an endless taskmaster, and it doesn't allow you to ever rest. I don't think I've rested yeah. in all my life, forty five years, and wow. now I'm learning to function out of a place of rest. And uh, I'm happier. I'm filled with joy. Um, I have peace that I haven't had in years because I would always wake up feeling like I had something else to do. There was never a day when I accomplished it all. And uh, that's great. I accomplished a, a lot of wonderful things over the years, but I look back and I wish I would have told my younger self, hey, mm. bud, get this thing fixed in your life. And it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. I think we could all used to hear that right now. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think about some of the things that you've got in front of you and, and where God's leading you guys. Uh, the coffee shop we were talking yeah. about, obviously coffee and conversations are here. Yeah. Um, that's our podcast, but we really believe that, man, it's around a table where you get to really do life, yeah. community develops and grows, and, and faith is just a part of who we are. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm excited about that, but what are, what are some of the things you would really like to accomplish that were money, not the issue? Um, what would you just step out and, and you believe where God is leading you, you would do today? Money, no issue. You just, you believe this is where, where we're, li- we're headed. Yeah. You know what? Um, I think for me, honestly, what I'm doing right now is exactly what I would be doing if money were not an issue. I feel like I'm in a good space. I feel like I'm really cruising with the Lord. It seems really, it would be nice, you know, to have endless resources right now because you can accomplish um, a lot more, a lot faster. But I'm learning to even trust the timing of the Lord. And so I would actually, this sounds strange. I don't know that I would want all the money right now because I don't know that I'm whole enough to go out and not spend it in the timing of the Lord. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, the process is important. Yeah, because yeah. I think I would just run out and start doing again. Yeah, um, but I'm enjoying mm. the season of being more so than doing, um, and I think that's super important to me. But man, working with pastors and leaders, uh, I'm going to do this till I retire. Um, well, not retire until the Lord takes me home. Essentially, yeah. I don't know. There's retirement in the kingdom, but um, I I'm loving. You know, this. I feel like we're ahead of the curve when it comes to church. I feel like a house church movement. Somebody from California uh, sent me a text the other day. He said, I love what you're doing. He said, I'm not there yet. He said, you're just about five to 10 years ahead of the curve. Mm. He says, I think, especially if persecution and things like that begin to yeah. 
unfold in America, you know, this kind of around the table type faith is going to become more popular. In fact, uh, a really strong prophetic voice said the next great move of God in America is going to happen around the table. And I really believe that. It's going to be in coffee shops. It's going to be in offices. It's going to be in homes, people's backyards. And it's just people doing life together with their friends, their family, their coworkers, that kind of thing. So this sounds strange answer to this question, but I would still be doing what I'm doing. I love it. And uh, But I'm enjoying the pace of it. And so um, although it would be nice to have endless resources, I feel like I'm not ready for endless resources, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I know we were talking about Bill Wilson earlier. Yeah. Uh, someone who's definitely invested in, in our ministry here and uh, we're patterned after at Kiko. But something I heard him say Sunday, just uh, two days ago, was it's it's not about what you accomplish, but what you put into motion. He said a lot of times we're always worried about what we have actually accomplished in our lifetime. And sometimes it's just being a part of someone else's story to put something in motion to serve our purpose in their lives, whether it's other leaders, whether it's across a table at a coffee shop or in your living room. But you put something into motion in their heart and in their life and in their walk with Christ. And who's to say what what God's going to accomplish through them yeah. uh, in their relationship? And I think that's really important. Sometimes I really look at what I've accomplished, and it's just being obedient uh, to put some things in motion that day. Yeah. The tough part about ministry work, you know this, is that the vast majority of what we do, we won't ever see the fruit of it until much further down the road. Yeah. You know, my wife used to give me a hard time uh, years ago because I would commonly go out and mow the yard like twice a week when I was a youth pastor. And one day she asked me about it. She's like, why do you do that? I said, because instantaneously I can see something that is being produced. I can see lines in the grass. I can see, (laughs) you know, and it's just hard sometimes working with people. Yeah. Because you forget that we are seed sowers. And, you know, sometimes it falls on ground that's not ready for it. And that's sad, but sometimes it falls on ground, but it takes a while. Yeah. And uh, the fun thing for me about 25 years later um, is now I'm starting to see people that I invested in a long time ago going, hey, thank you. So I'll give you a quick example. A friend of ours moved to Maryville just recently, and she was in our youth group. Didn't know this, but she came to Christ in our youth group Mm. like 25, 28 years ago, something like that, long time ago. And... Um, she just, we had coffee at a place in Maryville and she said, I, I just want you to know you changed my life and you don't oftentimes realize that, um, in the midst of it, but I want to encourage every nonprofit pastor, ministry worker out there. Don't lose heart. You know, you are making a real difference in people's lives. You know, sometimes we don't see it and sometimes we won't see it for a really long time, but don't lose sight of sowing seeds and the value of that. Every time you love, love always comes back with a return. It's the greatest return on investment when you love people. And so don't stop doing that. But it's hard. Nowadays, it's harder to love people. You know, people are more difficult and challenging than they've ever been. But let's continue to love and continue to sow seeds. That's so good. What a great reminder. And James, as we wrap up, how can folks find out more about what you're a part of here? Yeah, so they can visit us online, probably the easiest place, theauthenticmovement.com. Tell us a little bit about our story. Tell us a little bit about our um, different uh, avenues of ministry and what we're working on right now. And uh, and I'd love to to engage folks and get them connected and plugged in. And um, one of the things, too, that I, I find a lot of um, value in is... Um, just connecting the dots for people. 
you know, if we can't help you, maybe I know somebody that does. And that's been the fun thing over the years of ministry. Met a lot of wonderful people across the country. And sometimes when people say, hey, you know, can you help me with this? I'm like, no, but I do know somebody that can. Yeah. And I think if we're going to really thrive in the days ahead, we have to be comfortable um, even passing people on and going, I don't have the answers for you, but I do know who does. And so I love networking and connecting people that way. So if I can help anyway, um, I would be honored to do that. That's great. Well, I definitely encourage people connecting with you and getting to know more about what you guys are doing. So thanks for coming and joining us today. Thanks, my friend. Appreciate it. Till next time, we hope you enjoy some coffee and great conversations.